You're listening to Indigenous Boom, a podcast by the Atlantic Policy Congress of First Nation Chief Secretariat, featuring conversations on Indigenous health, education, and economic prosperity. Now your host, Krista Thompson. On today's episode of Indigenous Boom, we're going to be speaking to some staff from the Atlantic Policy Congress of First Nation Chief Secretariat Health Department, the Resolution Health Support Program. This program supports access to appropriate levels of mental wellness support services to Indian residential school survivors and their family members. It also provides support to Indian day school survivors, 60 scoop survivors, and murdered and missing Indigenous women and girls, family and community. So I'm very excited today. I'm going to be speaking with Brenda Christie and Connie Francis. Could you introduce yourself? So my name is Brenda Christie and I am a Resolution House support worker with the Atlantic Policy Congress. Um, and I cover the Atlantic region, which means that I work with communities in Nova Scotia, New Brunswick and PEI. So my name is Connie Francis and I live in Elsiboktuk. And I am also a RHSW, and mine covers New Brunswick plus the United States. But it extends like through the years there, you go and cover Nova Scotia, PEI. So basically, I do the Atlantic. We go where we're needed. That's excellent. Can you tell us about the Resolution Health Support Program? Well, it was set in place um, to assist um, Indian residential school survivors at that time, uh, just to minimize the, the impacts that they were um, going through at that time, because there was a lot of, uh, they had to go back into their past and everything. So just to minimize the risks and everything. So we were put in place to um, support those, the survivors and their families. So I guess maybe a better question would be, um, how, did the, how did this program come about? They, they had established uh, the safety protocols for the survivors and everything. So it, it was part of the agreement. And that came out of the Indian Residential School Survivor? Yeah. Um, the, so when the TRC came through, the components of the Indian Residential Settlement um, Settlement Agreement had five components, and part of one of those components was health. And out of that component, to make sure that people who were going through um, the process, um, they realized that they would need a lot of emotional support, and that it needed to become a safe space because of the trauma that was being brought back up. And uh, Connie can definitely speak more to this than myself. I'm a little bit newer here at APC, but Connie has traveled along and helped people. So, so the, the program was geared up to help um, survivors through every phase. So the common experience payments, the uh, uh, individual assessment planning and the hearings. And uh, so the program kind of came out of that. Is that correct, Connie? Mm. Yeah, it, it's uh, so, and it has revolved like through the years, like when we started like with the CEP, which was the common experience payment, 
we, uh, you know, it was just to guide them through the whole process and everything. And then the, when the independent assessment process came about, it was a little bit more, uh, it was more difficult because they had to really go back and really had to go through uh, the whole process. Like we had the hearings, we had the lawyers, we had everything. So that's when they needed like really the support, the guidance and just the, the mostly it was the, their, for their mental health. So how, do, how does this program assist individuals? Um, it, more, more guidance and like we tried to give them the tools to, um, like for their own mental safety, for their, whether they need um, cultural support, whether they want somebody to come and smudge summon someone to, um, so a lot of them like speak um, Mi'kmaq and um, they're very comfortable expressing themselves in that way. So we were able to provide that, those supports at that time, whenever they needed. Um, just to have somebody on their side and knowing that um, they, they felt secure when they were meeting with the lawyers or with the, at the hearings and everything. But like I said, like the hearings was more, uh, it was a heavier, it was a heavier pace when they were going to their IAP. Yeah. So we provide programs and supports that really just help them promote their own healing. Like Connie said, it really provides a safe place where they know they can share or not. Sometimes they just need someone to be there and to know that, you know, it's, it's okay um, to just be in that dark place and not have to explain it to anybody. Um, the program also provides referrals to cultural and spiritual advisors. And we also work to uh, provide referrals to outside agencies for mental health support. That's excellent. Sounds like there's um, you guys do a lot of targeted work. So you work with the Indian Residential School survivors, the Indian Day School survivors, and the 60 Scoop survivors, correct? Yes, and also with the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls. So we provide those supports. I guess time uh, went on. Um, they added more uh, they added more onto our agenda like so like these days um we do a lot of more with the missing and murdered and the indian day school applicants and it's just to guide them through the the process and you know whether they need to talk to the lawyer or whether they just need support emotional support when they're filling their applications because it's the same process they still have to go back to the day where their trauma happened. So sometimes they just need that emotional support or somebody that uh, can guide them. And a big part of it as well is managing expectations because as we all know, um, after reliving this trauma, um, you can't put a price tag on people's pain. And after reliving all of this, you know, the way that it's geared up, people kind of anticipated that 
um, their hurt would be recognized. And when we started getting answers from the Indian Day School applicants that, you know, their levels were bumped down and the money that they expected wasn't there, it's, it was kind of like adding insult to injury. So we're kind of there to uh, help them, you know, um, have a safe place to, to talk about that and, and how that impacts how they're, they're feeling. In 2020, the AFN called for the renewal of the IRS Resolution Health Support Program, which was due to end on April 1st, 2021. Um, we're just wondering if it got renewed, and if not, how will this affect the program and the survivors? And if it did renew, what is the new agreement and how will it benefit individuals and families? So, to my understanding, it, it was re renewed. And it's going to follow the same, um, it's going to follow the same, like the current terms that they have now. It doesn't really say how long, for how long it is, but it's almost like a, a reassurance that they are going to continue. Um, I believe that um, you, you sort of need that uh, commitment because it is really hard to make like future plans when you don't even know if you're going to be there to um you know you can't really tell them oh I'm going to be here for the next so many years or whatever but they they were like we were given a reassurance that it was going to continue under the current terms that they have right now yeah, that's my understanding as well, Connie, is uh, that it was renewed. Um, that is one of the things that people worry about is how long the funding is going to be there. And, and we get that question a lot is like, so how long are you guys going to be around this time? Because we all know when they say they're going to do programs, we never know how long they're going to last because there's never any money. Um, and it has, uh, to the best of my knowledge as well, it's going to continue along the same lines, but they have put it actually out there, whereas... Um, prior to this, the Indian Day School, a 60s scoop in Missing and Murdered were kind of an annex to the uh, residential school. They've now put that in, in our actual terms of work so that we know that those things are, are covered. Um, you know, a lot of people think this is ancient history, but the last residential school closed in 1996 in Saskatchewan. You know, that means that there's, there's still a lot of impact out there. And it's something that's going to impact people for a long time. There were over a thousand kids that were at Shuby School, which was the only school in all of Atlantic Canada um, until 1967. And so you have all the impacts that, that happens from that that are still there. You know, we have all the trauma. We have what comes out of trauma, the addictions, the alcohol, the dysfunctional families, the violence. And then you compound with the way the world is today with our, you know, issues with human trafficking, issues with COVID and isolation is that, you know, it's a program that has proven to be very vital and one that is being asked for. And so uh, hopefully, um, you know, that funding will be there to make it continue. Absolutely. And I'm sure um, most Mi'kmaq people have somebody in their immediate family um, who did go to the Shibanakati school. My grandmother went, my two oldest sisters went, my oldest stepbrother, um, I believe, was there for 11 years. My son's grandmother was there for 15 years and she passed away before they did the settlement. 
she passed away in 2002. So yeah, yeah it, it's, it really does affect, um, it has far reaching effects. And then I had no idea um, the challenges and people my own age went to the day school and the challenges that they faced, nobody ever talked about it. So I didn't, I didn't hear about it until they started doing the applications and things like that. Cause all of my brothers and sisters went to the day school except me. So, cause I was raised away. So yeah, it really is. Um, it really does affect a lot of families. Mm -hmm. um, we're in the pandemic now. How has that hindered or changed the support that you've been able to give to individuals? Oh my gosh. <laughs> where do we start? Yeah. For me personally, where I did many years of going into a person's home to, to be able to, you know, sit down and have a cup of tea with them and just to chat and everything. A lot of it has, um, like it's just uh, inboxing. It's just phone calls. It's it's uh, like I've had a few visits where it's like from the step or uh, just outside. As long as it was outside and everything. Um, there's also our sessions that we used to have because they all the survivors have something in common that they that they went through together. So we have these. Um, sessions where they could sit down and make moccasins or make their skirt and it was just getting together and them being able to to laugh and to knowing that they went through their hard times knowing that um they all had that that bond back in residential school so they did have fun and they did relax and they did uh so now we couldn't have we can't have those we tried one online there making drums, which wasn't really not a good idea because it was too, uh, you know, you need hands-on directions and everything. So it has limited us to like to have that hands-on. We remain connected, but like I said, it's through phone calls and, but hopefully, once this vaccination is, you know, everybody gets vaccinated, that will begin to open those doors again. And Connie's experience is much different than mine. Um, being newer to the RHSW, I was relying on those community contacts so that people would get comfortable with me and get to know me and be able to feel comfortable in reaching out. Um, so that's been a little bit more of a challenge. Um, the community sessions were amazing and I think like Connie said when you provide that group of people who have lived the experience is that healing happens organically people are not coming in with the expectation that they're going to have to share something or that everybody identifies that that this is uh, something that they've been through and I think for me one of the greatest assets of the program when when we could go into community was that it was multi-generational so we had grandmothers mothers daughters and grandchildren making moccasins together or or making drums together sharing and and the healing happened organically um 
like Connie, we've gone to, uh, I've also gone to virtual workshops. We've decided to do things that are a little bit simpler. Um, so we prepare our kits and we have our facilitators online, but we do things that are a little bit more simple. So medicine pouches and rattles and that kind of thing. And uh, actually it's been a benefit in some ways because the schools have come back and asked us to help support the students. And so we've had some, some very good success with online medicine pouch through the schools. Um, as part of the support program and uh, being able to reach off-reserve kids um, in particular right now. Wow, that sounds great that you get to um, work with the youth and, and work for the schools and I love making medicine coaches. So yeah, that must be, it must be really fun to engage like that. Um, so what would you like to see moving forward for your program and for the survivors? I'd like to see like when it, once everything opens up, like to have more social gatherings. Um, a lot of um, survivors, they sort of turned against like the church. And so when, when we were available to go, like we were able to reconnect them to spirituality not necessarily religion or just spirituality for their own self. Um, and I would like some of them would really, they weren't connected spiritually. So once you introduce, because they turned, um, like they just went among like by themselves. And, and so when you reintroduce them like to a smudging, or the pipe ceremonies, or anything that reconnected their their self, um, you could see that it that it did wonders for them. And I would like to see more of that. I'd like to see um, like they get their acknowledgement from the communities because that what they went through was a lot, and we don't really. Uh, we don't really think about it. Like we're just, uh, we just go about life and whatever, not realizing that they were taken away as children. So they're, they're, like they couldn't bond with their mother, with their fathers, with their, so then they, they missed out on that. Then they had their own children, which they, they don't know exactly how to bond because nobody taught them that. Nobody taught them to, you know, give somebody a hug and tell them you love them and everything. And we don't realize that their children are affected more than we realize. So I would like for the communities to acknowledge the survivors for what they went through um, and maybe have some sessions for the families themselves, the descendants of the survivors. Um, one of the things that I think I would like to see, and I, I'm, I'm really hopeful, but I'm not holding my breath, is, is guaranteed funding for longer periods than a year at a time so that people can count on those services being there. Um, and, and I see as Connie said, that, that reconnection to spirituality. I think, um, you know, one of the most heartbreaking moments in my earlier career before I came to APC 
was at one of our uh, All Nations Drone group, and we had a young woman who was from Fort Francis had come in, and in her community, she wasn't allowed to touch a drone. She was told that it was not something that they did. It was against the church and, and came in trying to, you know, reconnect and was terrified to touch a drum. And it was so sad. And because you could tell that she was floundering, she needed something. But yet that, that fear of, of going to, to what used to be was so instilled that, that she, it was a real challenge for her. And it was amazing to watch the growth of the sharing of the of the seven grandfather teachings and and why things were the way and and how things got lost. And when you see people get back to that through the ceremony and you see the impact that it has on their life, it's really amazing. And it just speaks to the value of that cultural connection that we need to get back. Absolutely, I totally agree. Um, we need more opportunities to engage with our people in our communities on a cultural level and have that opportunity um, for them to do, you know, learning how to um, drum and how to respect the drum and how to care for the drum and learn the songs. Um, because I didn't even, I learned the song, I learned our Wabanaki songs, um, I think in 2001 I started learning. And it's so powerful when you start engaging with your culture. Um, and I, yeah, I think that's really important. And you must see how the change from your clients from when you first start with them and then, you know, years going mm -hmm. forward, they, there must be like, that must be very special to, to watch and to be part of too. It is. We had, um, we had this one ceremony um, at the Sundance grounds there where we put up the, we put up a teepee, but we just put up the, the poles. And it was to symbolize like what they were when they came out of residential school, which was just a show. So then we invited the, the community to come and help them put on the, the canvas. And because it takes a whole community to heal. So with that, like, it was like we had RCMP, we had counselors, we had the chief, we had the fire department, we had people come and to put everything into place. So, and it was just to, for them to visualize like how the community can help you. Not one person could do it alone, but it needs the whole community to start healing. It's really important to you know, we talk about self-care, which is very, very important. But I think one of the things that, you know, um, the, the structured um, mental health, if you want, forgets that health and care comes with community care. It's about family. It's about interconnectedness. It's about supporting each other through our times of need, good or bad. And, you know, self-care is a great thing, but community care needs to get back on the plate. You know, we don't, we work with individuals, but everybody that that individual is connected to is impacted, right? So it's, you know, when you have a loss in a community, the family feels a loss, but the community feels a loss. And so that, that community care needs to get back on it. 
Um, we, we're getting a lot of requests for land-based healing, but not just individuals, but entire families, so that all of the families can understand why these things, why they were, like Connie said, a shell when they came out of residential school and what a struggle it's been to kind of regain that knowledge of, of how, how to be good with yourself and how to be good to others. But also in knowing that you can break the cycle. You can choose to, to go forward in a positive way. And that's easy, easier to do when you understand where it comes from. When you can look at life through that lens of compassion and say, you know what, it sucks the way that I grew up. It's not, it wasn't fun. But I understand now why my parents weren't connected, why they couldn't love us the way we wanted to be loved, why it's had such an impact. And I think when we can understand why that happened, I think that we're more, more compassionate and we're more open to seeing that we can't change the past, but we can change the way we move forward. Totally agree. Thank you so much, Brenda. Thank you so much, Connie. If our listeners would like to get a hold of you, how best would they do that? Um, they can reach out to us through uh, the um, APC Facebook page. Um, our coordinates are there. They're more than welcome to uh, call our offices. Um, we're also available by telephone, and um, Connie and I both have our own individual Facebook pages um, where people can uh, contact us by chat if they want to. That's great. Thank you so much. Well, I appreciate you ladies taking the time to talk to us today. I learned so much. And um, I think the work that you're doing is beautiful. It's meaningful. It's important. And I hope that you get funding for years to come. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Indigenous Boom, the new podcast from the Atlantic Policy Congress of First Nation Chiefs Secretariat.